The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, highlighting the opportunities and risks that we see in the current environment and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the Natixis models to reflect this backdrop. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Manager Solutions, and I lead the Natixis Investment Manager Solutions Investment Committee. The market giveth, the market taketh. January saw the S&P 500 return north of 6%. Tech stocks were up almost 11% according to the NASDAQ composite. In global equities, they rose 7.2% looking to the MSCI All Country World Index. But February, the S&P 500 slipped 2.45%, the NASDAQ dropped 1%, and the MSCI All Country World Index fell 2.83%. The market giveth, the market taketh. In fixed income, January saw the 10-year yield tighten from 3.88% to 3.51%. Spreads across the board followed suit with investment grade tightening by 46 basis points and high yield by 82. But turn the page to February and the 10-year widened back out to 3.92% with investment grade spreads giving up 55 basis points and high yield widened by 49 basis points. Almost a total round trip in terms of spreads in the fixed income space. The market giveth, the market taketh. So what happened? What gives? The data, too hot to handle. We had payrolls, retail sales, CPI, and PPI. All came in stronger than expected, and this spooked the market. So much so that the market repriced the Fed's terminal rate another 50 basis points higher. We closed January with the market expecting the Fed to finish at a rate of 4.9%, and now we're all the way up to 5.4%. Priced in another two more 25 basis point hikes. And as of this recording, the market now expects a 25 basis point hike at the March and May meeting and a decent chance for another 25 at the June meeting as well. And higher rates means more uncertainty. And more uncertainty means that rate volatility starts to drift higher. And as rate vol drifts higher, risk appetite wanes. But were all of these data prints really as strong as the headlines suggest? We're not so sure. There were a lot of quirky things going on beneath the surface that made us go, well, hmm. Lots of seasonal adjustments and anomalies that are often attributed to the January data that don't often tend to persist. So with that in mind, we remain a bit skeptical that the January data was really as hot as the market thinks. And as a result, maybe the subsequent data cools and we see some give back in the months to come. And if that's the case, maybe the market overshot this move in rates. Maybe this overshoot in rates means that equities really don't have quite the headwind that plagued risk assets for February. Let's look at payrolls. January payrolls surged 517,000, far outpacing the consensus call for 188,000, and net revisions for the last two months added an additional 71,000 jobs. The economy really added a whopping 517,000 jobs in December? Seriously? Clouding things, hourly earnings rose just 0.3% in line with expectations. So a blowout jobs adds number, but wages were benign? Hmm. Private payroll surged 443,000, marking the largest increase in six months. Leisure and hospitality added 128,000, a sector that is desperately in need of workers still. So this makes sense to us. If you look at the pre-COVID levels, leisure and hospitality is still short some 500,000 workers relative to that starting point. So job ads here, you know, that's not that surprising. 
but the head scratcher, the benign wage data. Hourly earnings rose three-tenths of 1%, with the year-on-year rate dropping to 4.4%, making this the lowest rate since August. Yes, the three-month annualized rate fell to 4.6%, down from 5%, a level that is a bit too hot for a 2% inflation target. But why the outlier upside print and jobs added? The January jobs print sees new population adjustments incorporated from the current population survey as well as payroll revisions. This means lots of noise in the January print for both the household and establishment surveys. January is notorious for seeing the largest seasonal adjustments. Non-seasonally adjusted payrolls declined by 2.5 million in January, the smallest month-on-month decline since 1984. This was 303,000 fewer jobs losses than last month. This is very much at odds with the seasonally adjusted number of 517,000. So let's put this mumbo-jumbo into plain English. Typically, we see a drop in job ads in January. Companies let go of their seasonal workers as of the holiday season, which is past. This creates a drop in the data that the BLS likes to smooth out or seasonally adjust. But this time around, there was no big drop. So typically what you see, the BLS smooths over the expected drop in job ads each year by adding back jobs to smooth the number. If you don't have a big drop and yet you apply that smoothing component, you're basically adjusting higher a number that really doesn't need to be adjusted. The end result, an overinflated number. We also need to factor in the unseasonably warm weather. Yes, we do tend to see stronger job ads when the weather is a bit better. So don't roll your eyes too much at this. But there was also plenty of bad weather out there too. The California floods, for example. But looking at the past huge outliers, we've seen a noticeable trend towards revisions. And this one seems too weird to not assume some revisions should be expected. The bottom line here, this data is preliminary making it subject to revisions. And payrolls are notorious for being significantly revised in the subsequent months. This time around should be no different. And lastly, Listen to what companies are saying, like Indeed, Homebase, LinkUp, and ZipRecruiter. They've all been saying the same thing. The job market's softening. And these guys are on the front lines of the employment battle. And this just doesn't jive with the payroll print. Call us skeptical. Not sure the job market is as hot as the payroll print implied. And this is what got the party started. Once the payroll print hit, treasuries began their steady march higher towards 4%. Next came consumer price inflation. That print can only be described in one word, sticky. But parsing through the data, there were some reasons for optimism and some reasons to be cautious. Both headline and core CPI basically came in in line with one decimal point expectations published by Bloomberg. However, the whisper numbers seem to be expecting a higher print, with many talking about a hotter print than what the published estimates hinted. A simple glance at the headline number doesn't tell you much, but what lies beneath is where all the action was. Let's focus on the one line item that the Fed says they're intently watching, Supercore services. That's services x food and energy and less shelter. Supercore services didn't hurt, but it didn't help. Sticky. That's the problem. It's not going down as fast as the markets would like, but it also isn't going up either. A pause in the downtrend is very different than a reacceleration higher. Sure, underlying inflation is still running stronger than we'd hope at this point, but a few things to keep in mind. We aren't even 12 months removed from the Fed's first hike. There's plenty of tightening coming in the pipeline, and we've said repeatedly that goods disinflation can't help pull down CPI forever. At some point, goods prices will level out and find an equilibrium level. 
This means that the services part of the inflation basket will need to pick up the slack. As I noted earlier, many of the recruiters are commenting on the softening labor market. Just a matter of time before we start seeing additional weakness in wages. But keep in mind, the BLS reweighted the CPI basket. Shelter now accounts for 43% of core CPI. We've discussed the methodological quirks in this process that makes the shelter component of CPI slow to move. The real-time eyeball test tells us that rent prices are rolling over. Just look at data from Zillow and ApartmentList, for example. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. When will the drop in rental prices finally appear in the BLS data? And that is 43% of that basket. It's coming, and it's going to have a big impact when it finally hits. Then came retail sales. Yep, you guessed it, stronger than expected. But again, some quirkiness in this data series too. For some reason, we have begun to witness an anomaly since the start of the pandemic. December retail sales has consistently dipped only to rebound strongly in January. And this time around, that trend was no different. If we look at the retail sales control group or the total industry sales that are used in other consumption metrics, we see that December saw a drop of 0.7%. The market was expecting a drop of 0.3%. In January, the market was expecting an increase of 1%. The actual print was an increase of 1.7%. So smoothing out the data by looking at the two-month average, retail sales came in slightly better than expected, a much different look than the headline hot print of 1.7%. We really don't have a great explanation for this anomaly, but the more important point here is recognizing that it exists. So take payrolls, CPI, and retail sales together, and we see strong data on the surface. But pull back the layers and we see a lot of quirks in the data that make us suspicious that the story being told at the headline level is a true reflection of what is happening beneath the surface. And yet this pushed Treasury yields higher by almost 50 basis points and put a dent in the uptrend for risk assets. As regular listeners of this podcast know, we've been in the soft landing camp for some time, a view the market finally started to converge to in January. Terminal rate expectations have been range-bound since October, and with that, compressing rate volatility bled out across other assets, helping to bolster risk appetite. But with that soft landing, we cited the risk of reaccelerating growth in a resilient labor market providing an eventual floor to the disinflation process still above the Fed's 2% target. In fact, we called this hike-pause-hike scenario, an off-ramp to a pause materializing, but upside risks to the terminal rate should additional adjustments be required. Hot January data releases have proven to be the trigger to the narrative storm that broke out this February. The result? Rapid repricing of rate expectations largely in line with what the Fed has said for months, higher for longer. The market now expects the terminal rate to be reached by June, with 25s a lock in March and May, and nearly 70% odds for one more 25 in June. The really stunning repricing occurred with respect to those infamous rate cut expectations further out on the curve. Powell stopped pushing back against the market to price out rate cuts, and the data took care of it for him. So the prevailing narrative now? Stronger growth equals stickier inflation equals higher level and duration of the terminal rate, which equals greater the eventual pain of the hard landing to come. Intuitive and popular, but we disagree. First of all, what is the definition of a no landing? To the mainstream narrative, it seems to be one where the Fed is forced to push harder, which eventually begets a deeper recession. Or is it simply a pause or slowing in the disinflationary process, 
but one which eventually gives way to normalizing growth after a brief period of reacceleration. The former would need to see a meaningful reacceleration in inflation, not just a slowing in the pace of disinflation. The latter is simply a pushing out of the end scene for this tightening cycle, a soft landing, hard landing, or somewhere in between. Second, what matters most is whether we see hotter inflation or simply stickier inflation. Yes, goods deflation appears to have stalled out, but we all know about the pipeline of disinflation and shelter costs, which now carry an even greater weight in the annual basket updates, and that makes a meaningful reacceleration unlikely. Reaccelerating inflation is problematic and would likely require a much firmer policy stance. Stickier inflation remaining above the target but well off the peak isn't nearly as dire. A modestly higher terminal rate and holding for longer? Sure. That's what the Fed has been guiding for and what the market finally capitulated to. But are marginal adjustments in 25 basis point increments going to cause an even deeper recession in an economy that has proven less rate sensitive with sizable cash buffers, strong corporate and household balance sheets, and rising real wages amidst the resilient labor market and no excesses to unwind? Mm, don't think so. And finally, all of these no landing leads to a harder hard landing argument basically rely on the newly resurrected Phillips curve. And that implies a link between economic activity and inflation that has, if anything, proven weaker by the recent data as inflation cooled, even as growth remained resilient as the economy and labor market normalized. We're certainly in the midst of a serious rewriting of the prevailing narrative, but many pundits are failing to recognize the dubious assumptions the new narrative is built on. And even more importantly, the questionable reliability of the recent hot data prints that we just discussed. One print does not make a trend, and yet the market was off to the races. The market loves to extrapolate single data points into the future. But what happens if these hot prints cool off in February and look more in line with the soft landing picture? Like, say, resilient growth, normalizing labor markets, and wage growth with declining inflation. If that's the case, the sharp surge in yields in February may very well prove transitory. The market has been remarkably resilient considering the magnitude of the repricing. Even the rise in rate vol has been notably modest. If January proves to be a head fake, one which confirms a stronger economy, but not to the extent the market is discounting, we could be on track for a similar reversal in the markets. Rates rallying, vol compressing, and risk on. And take note of what the market's been saying. Outperformers, cyclicals, materials, industrials, financial, and energy. The underperformers, defensives, real estate, utilities, healthcare, and staples. And the segments of the market that tend to struggle with higher rates, materials, discretionaries, industrials. Guess what? They're outperforming. And the ones that tend to do well with higher rates, utilities, and healthcare, these guys are struggling. The script's been flipped. Why? Is it that maybe because the market's looking past this and realizing that growth prospects are improving and that the worst case recession scenarios are fading? The market's telling us something. I know I'm paying attention and listening. What do we do this month? Nothing. Sat tight. As we've outlined earlier, we're a bit skeptical that the data is as hot as the market perceives and expect some give back on the February data to come out in March. And should this happen, the move higher in rates and the profit-taking and risk assets should reverse course. And we are happy to hold our positioning, credit over rates, and moving a little further out on the risk spectrum. 
down in cap size and favoring a tilt towards cyclical exposure across the equity space. Same tilts that we had on at the start of the year. No changes. To wrap up our podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Chianasiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening. Important information for listeners outside the United States. Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult im.natixis.com slash intl slash podcasts dash and dash other dash media. Further, The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that development Developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis, such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products, provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, MA02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Manager Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. LLC Natixis Advisors. LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC Attracts. 5494381. 1. 1. Expiration date. September 30, 2023. POD 37. March. 2023.